V1. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Terrain. Terrain. Pull up. Terrain. Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, hello, gentlemen. It is another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. It's good to see you both. Um, we have a kind of an interesting accident uh, this week because the investigation is still ongoing. It's a relatively new accident. The airplane crashed in uh, June of this year, 2022. And so the NTSB is still in the process of doing uh, their investigation and of course the associated activities. What we wanna do at this show today is talk about some of the things that uh, we think the board should be looking at to try and uh, figure out the probable cause for this particular accident. So it's, uh, every accident is sad, but this one is, is very sad because it was a young lady um, who had recently gotten a private pilot certificate and uh, she was flying with her young child uh, son. And apparently uh, these two places in Texas, she spent a lot of time you know, bouncing between the two. So she had some familiarity and I'll turn it over to you, Todd, in a second to talk about it. But, you know, when you start looking at an accident like this and you look at the, the prelim, the NTSB gave you basically some of the facts, but they, uh, you know, it's not very detailed. They just basically said, here's an accident. It happened. We're out there looking at it. And uh, we'll get back to you with what we find after we spend 12 or 18 months pondering what's going on. And um, based on the facts that uh, they did present uh, and some of the pictures that are coming from the accident site, it's obvious that this airplane struck the ground, uh, not in a relatively flat attitude, but in a left wing low, nose low attitude at a pretty good, at a pretty good uh, vertical speed. And, um, and so getting into the dynamics of this accident and what the investigators should be looking at, Todd, I know that, uh, you know, you scoured the internet, you looked at some of the social media posts and that kind of stuff. Can you give us a little bit of background on this particular pilot and, uh, and some of the things that she was doing in the past? Well, certainly, uh, like a lot of the accidents we, uh, we followed this was a general aviation fatal event, but for me, it caught my eye because when I was scanning Catherine's report, this was a crash that happened not too far from where I grew up in, in South Texas, about 50 miles from San Antonio, 60 miles from San Antonio, where I grew up. And there are a few things that stood out about this. One of them being, there was a lot of social media uh, profile, a high social media profile from this pilot. She had posted numerous uh, things on Facebook and, and uh, Instagram. And from that, I was able to get some information that gave some context as to what kind of pilot she was. Uh, she owned this aircraft. 
soloed in the aircraft, got her license, private license, and looking at flight uh, radar 24, there had been a number of flights that were made with this aircraft in and around uh, her home uh, airport. And specifically, several on this route that was uh, the one she took on her on a fatal flight from New Braunfels down to uh, Kennedy Airport. That's one end in, in South Texas. And this was something that she had done, again, at least four times in the previous four months. And this was a relatively short flight, about a half hour or so. And as Greg mentioned, the other thing that struck me about this is that this was not just her on the aircraft, this was also her young son. So there's all that emotional side of it that comes into this. This was a person from her social media um, profile, very active, hard charger. She was a registered nurse. She was working in New Braunfels, like I said, about 60, 70 miles north of where the crash happened and lived on a ranch with her family, very proud of her family, uh, you know, water skiing, picnics, all sorts of a wonderful life, in other words. And you would think, well, this is the kind of person, very forward looking with her life in general, very dedicated toward aviation, quite proud of her achievements. And what seems to be a routine flight went wrong a mile or so from her destination. And I'm sure the NTSB might get into more details with the technical side of this, but looking at the, literally the social side of it, the social media side of it, this didn't come across as a pilot who was slipshod or a pilot who was cut in the corners, a pilot who was not trying to do things in her life. And when you look at the, uh, the route of flight, it's, it's relatively a straight shot all the way into the intended uh, runway for landing. I mean, you didn't really have to alter course a whole heck of a lot uh, to land on the runway based on the wind that particular day uh, for, uh, for the runway. And if you look at the flight aware data, you can see that it tracks pretty much true right to the airport. And she just made a slight adjustment um, and it was uh, less than a mile from the end of the uh, runway that all of a sudden something um, bad happened uh, with regard to her being able to control the airplane. There were some um, altitude deviations in the, the very final seconds of the flight. John, when we look at this, you know, the board's going to be looking at a variety of different things. Um, of course, you can't rule out a mechanical malfunction or failure. Not at all. In fact, I, I would put that high on the list to uh, to look at physical evidence. You know, we just did an accident where a simple bracket, the securing of a simple bracket for the throttle, caused a helicopter to crash. So, and I and I, it just so happened that about two hours ago, I was looking at uh, an older accident in uh, the desert of uh, of the Grand Canyon, Las Vegas area sightseeing helicopter where a mechanic failed to put a cardigan into a castellated nut. It came loose and it lost control of the helicopter. So for, you know, helicopters have long been known for shaking and baking. And if, uh, if there's any hardware that's not properly secured, it doesn't last long on a helicopter. And when you look at the, the this is a, a 182G, so it's, of course, a single-engine piston airplane. But the G gives it away that it is an older model Cessna. It's back, uh, you know, aged in the uh, 70s. But, you know, that really doesn't matter in aviation as long as the airplane is being maintained uh, in accordance with manufacturers, maintenance schedules, and, of course, the Federal Aviation Regulations. 
But when you start looking at an older airplane like this, uh, of course, looking at the maintenance records is going to be critical to see what type of maintenance history this airplane has. When, when, the, when was the last most recent maintenance done on the airplane and what kind of maintenance did they do? Were they doing anything with flight control cables? Were they doing anything um, with any of the flight controls themselves that could have caused or contributed to a loss of control uh, by the pilot in these final stages of the flight? And then, of course, we also have to look at, yes, her experience. Uh, Todd gave us a, a bit of a background, but the NTSB and their prelim didn't put any kind of total flight time or recency of experience. That will be a big uh, factor to look at. But as an investigator, I would also be going back to her flight instructor or flight instructors, if she had multiple flight instructors, to be talking to them about basically her talent. That is her character, how she handled the airplane, what kind of decision-making um, you know, skills that she employed in her, uh, in her flying. Um, that particular day, like you said, Todd, yeah, the weather wasn't that, I mean, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was clear. If you look at the pictures right after the accident, uh, it's blue sky sunshine. Problem is, is that there was a significant gusty wind, 15 gusting to over 24 knots, which again, it doesn't sound like much. And the way the wind was oriented, it was pretty much down the runway she was going to be landing at. But pilots, especially inexperienced pilots, don't add in for those gusty wind conditions a little extra airspeed because with gusty winds, there are a couple things that happen, of course, and that is one, it's not a steady state wind, so you're not into a steady headwind or even a, a slight um, you know, quartering headwind. Um, you do have the gust loads. And you do have the fact that if the wind stops blowing or slows down, the bottom tends to fall out. And then all of a sudden you get hit with another little gust of wind. So you're always wanting to carry a little extra airspeed so that you do maintain that altitude control. And when you look at the, uh, the flight aware data with these pitch perturbations that were taking place right before they lost the, uh, the final data points, that could be indicative that she's fighting a, a bit of a crosswind or at least a, a quartering headwind that's very gusty. And she's right, you know, she's flying the numbers. A lot of these pilots, you know, fly the numbers. Well, again, you may not want to use full flaps in gusty wind conditions. You may want to use half flaps. So looking at the wreckage, John, one of the things mm -hmm. that the board's going to have to look at is really documenting the configuration of the airplane. Well, I was thinking earlier when I was looking at this accident, where would an investigator have to go? Right, so you got the obvious problem with, with did she lose power? So you're going to have to give a good look at the engine to make sure that it was functioning properly. Of course, you need to look at the fuel right off the bat to make sure it, was, it wasn't something as dumb as running out of fuel or having the wrong tank selected. I mean, so those are right off the bat. The flight controls, very suspect. So whether, whether they were operating properly or was there a problem, uh, you know, over the past year, we have looked at a number of accidents that were caused by the loss of cargo pin. I just mentioned a few on helicopters, but we've also had them on airplanes. In fact, you and I did the, the uh, Emory hearing on uh, 
on that where a mechanic simply forgot to put the cotter pin in. And, and over time, it came worked its way loose, and uh, he had a, a, an elevator problem. So and then there's a number of mechanical issues and airplane issues that this investigator is going to have to dig in on. And unfortunately, he's most likely a single investigator. And let's hope he doesn't stop shot just because he finds something and doesn't go to the other areas to make sure that he's covered all the bases. Given what, what I'm hearing out of the NTSB directly, talking to the board members, a couple of board members, um, resources are so thin, and we, we, you know, not even getting into that, just to take it at face value, that resources are so thin. Does that mean that uh, we're really going to get the shot shuffle on all these airplanes? I mean, it's been obvious to everybody in the business now for the last eight years at least, that the NTSB has not been putting the effort into general aviation accidents that they used to. And it's frustrating a lot of people, including the insurance companies, the manufacturers to a certain extent, and of course the family members are feeling the pain, uh, as you say, with the investigators hit the big red easy button yep. and blame it on the pilot and just move on. And there are two and other things. Well, two small things about this event, which I hope that they will address at some point. Uh, she was a uh, the pilot in command, and she had, I believe, her six-year-old son with her. So, again, one of the things that came to mind is, was there a problem with either the child being unbelted or with the fod inside the cabin? Who knows what? That might have uh, fouled up the controls. The other thing is she had come from her job as a nurse in the Bronfels, which, again, the origin of the flight. And my question is, was this after a normal shift? Was this after a double shift? Was there a fatigue issue here? That's something where even with a single investigator, in my mind, a few phone calls just with her colleagues saying, hey, what was her state of mind, her state of physical being after she left from her shift, picked up her child from wherever, and then went to the airport? Well, you bring up a good point, Todd, and just expanding on uh, the fact that she had a child in the airplane is where was that child? Was that child in a safety seat? Was that child sitting in the front seat? Was that child sitting in the back seat? Um, given the fact that the ride was probably bumpy due to the gusty wind conditions, um, you know, was there a problem with motion sickness? Was somebody getting sick? Was there a diversion of attention? Um, if the child was sitting in the front seat, did they, you know, did that child inadvertently grab the flight controls given the fact that one, you shouldn't fly with a child in the front seat. Um, in and hopefully that child was in a safety seat. Um, but if, it, if that, uh, you know, young boy wasn't, that's a big issue right there. Those are survival factors out uh, aspects of it, but it could also be contributory to a scenario where you may have had flight control interference or distraction or a variety of other things. So there is a lot of investigation to be done with this accident. It's not just the simple, let's go out, kick the tin, see if, you know, the flight controls work, the engine was running and just write this off to pilot error and fail to maintain control of the airplane or fail to maintain altitude or whatever, which seems to be a very simplistic, easy button uh, problem cause that we're seeing out of the NTSB these days. So hopefully the investigator will dig into a lot of these issues and, and it doesn't come up as an unknown and things like that, because it'll be very frustrating 
like you said, John, not only for the families, but it's, it's frustrating for the three of us, the flight safety detectives, when again, we may have a follow-up show and talk about this very accident with a probable cause that we've always been talking about is incomplete. It doesn't tell the real story. It's not an educational uh, outcome for pilots reading this particular accident. It seems, you know, you start reading the social media parts of Catherine's report and everybody's an expert and wants to chime in on what happened and that kind of stuff. But it's, we got to let the facts play out and hopefully the investigator will develop all the facts, conditions, and circumstances that will lead us to a reasonable and logical probable cause for this very unfortunate accident. Yes, so. this accident could prove to be very complicated in actually doing it because there are so many unanswered questions. And Todd, as you were talking about the work schedule, I, one of my daughters worked in the Mass General Hospital trauma unit for a number of years. And uh, I can tell you that on quite a few occasions, she would come home from work and, and wouldn't be fit to, to do anything because of what she had seen and what she had been involved in. So going, to, going back to the hospital, if she had worked prior shift just before this flight, is something I would put very high on the list to talk to those people to make sure that, they, that she wasn't in that state. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be posting uh, the link to Catherine's report. Uh, there are, is always some good information, including pictures and, and, of course, the flight tracks and that kind of thing. And this is an accident that we will be following, um, hopefully to fruition if it happens within the next 18 months. I'm hoping that it happens sooner than that. Um, but again, we'll, we'll watch this accident and come back to what the NTSB determines as a probable cause. So with that, gentlemen, um, I know that, uh, Todd, you're always itching to give <laughs> us some pearls of wisdom before the master closes us out. Well, the two of you actually inspired me to give these uh, next to last words, because while you were talking, I thought, you know, I'm racking my brains here. I can't recall any advisory circular or any industry publication, let's say from IOPA, that addresses how to fly with children. The very issues you mentioned, what are some common sense things you, you can and can't do or should or should not do when it comes to children? And let's, let's face it, for a lot of families, flying is a family affair. And although you want to have discipline inside of the cabin, uh, sometimes that discipline is absolutely essential for safety. And perhaps this is an opportunity for someone in an official capacity to step up and say, look, here are some rules of the road when it comes to flying with children. If you don't do this, there might be some problems. And that's why I invented a child safety seat for these very things. Because car seats, even though they're quote approved for use on airplanes, they aren't designed for airplane seats. And when you look at the airplane seat on a commercial airliner versus an airplane seat in a general aviation airplane, it's very diverse. And you don't get the same leverage when you're trying to belt that seat in. You don't have the over-the-shoulder um, straps or anchor points in a lot of general aviation airplanes. This is an older airplane, so we know for sure it didn't. And, and if somebody did put this seat, a child safety seat or a booster seat in the front seat, hoping to use the shoulder harness, was it properly secured? It's not a proper technique. There's a, a lot of good information that could come out of 
this particular accident. It may not be causal or contributing, but it could sure form the basis for writing a recommendation for general aviation uh, pilots flying with young children in either a child safety seat or a booster seat. So, you know, John, Hope Springs eternally. This out as I always do. (laughs) Hope Springs eternally that they'll do a very robust and across all of those different functional areas in the report. But you know what? I'm not going to hold my breath because we've seen just too many reports lately that leave so many holes, so many unanswered questions, and so many places where improvements could have been made and then not because the detail is missing. Yeah, I agree. I know. As always, I will remind everybody that if you're going to go fly, do a good pre-flight analysis before you go. Do it before you even leave your house. Do it again at the airport. Remember to check the weather from here, there, and everything in between. When you get out to your airplane, do a good pre-flight. The accidents I mentioned that I was looking at earlier today, uh, several of them, the pre-flights were lacking and the cause of the accident may have been able to been discovered before the takeoff if they had done a decent pre-flight. So you gotta do a decent pre-flight. If you don't know how to do one, I keep saying this, find a mechanic that works on the airplane that can help you through what's important on a pre-flight. And after you get in the air, put that head on the swivel. You know, I mentioned that you got that mid-air right in your backyard, Greg, just uh, less than a week ago. you know, they're happening all too frequently with too frequently now. So put that head on a swivel and pay attention to what's going on around you. And please, please fly safely. To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives, and remember to always fly safe.